We're in a series entitled, Be Holy, for I Am Holy, speaking of uh, the Ten Commandments. And that was interesting talking to a parent this morning. And um, the parent said something like this, I am counting the days to the Fifth Commandment. Now, you have to know what the Fifth Commandment is to get, what's the Fifth Commandment about? Honor your father and your mother. I'm counting the days. And you've got to keep counting them because we're not going to try to skip any on the way. And that will come. But this morning, as, as we continue to focus on God's holiness and the holiness that he requires of us, he presents to us these ten words, the Decalogue. And he says, since I am holy, remember from 1 Peter chapter 1, going back to here, this is how I want you to live. Old dispensation, old covenant, new covenant, they, the principles haven't changed, but how we relate to them has changed just a little bit because of Jesus Christ. And we're going through and touching base on the principles behind each of these commandments. And this morning, we turn to the first commandment, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. Now, verse 3, in my opinion, is, it is really the first commandment, but the first two verses are very important, and we'll get into that in just a moment, because you recognize uh, where these commands come from. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. Notice it's not Moses said, now here's how I want you to live. It says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Sometimes, I was, I was talking to another member last week, and he reminded me that often verses 1 and 2 are, are often overlooked in Exodus 20. This, this is kind of the, the prolude or the preface or the introduction, choose the word that you wish, to what's coming. And, and, and pastors, and, and maybe you just like, to, well, let's just get right to the 10 and kind of forget these first two verses. But they're very important verses. They're often overlooked. And I want to first share with you how important they are, because... Uh, it's, it's kind of like, let's see, if I pick up a book that I want to read, and, and some of you maybe heard of a really good book, and you say, oh, I'm going to pick up that book, and I want to get right to it. You sometimes pass the preface, you pass the introduction page, you pass the prologue, you, you, you pass the acknowledgments page. I want to get right to chapter one, right? Or am I I'm the only one who reads like that? I want to get right to the book. Don't do that when you come to the Ten Commandments. These first two verses are very important, and yet they're often overlooked because it identifies the giver of these ten words. The sovereign Lord, the great I am. That's important to understand because it, uh, it gives qualifications to the person who's giving them. They're not coming from Moses. They're coming from God. His qualifications establishes a rule of how he wants those who belong to him to live. And he has the grandest of all qualifications. You know how important it is if you're interviewing for a job or, 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 or someone is interviewing you for a job. They might say something like, tell me what qualifications you have to do this. Are you qualified? Moses is simply pointing out here in Exodus that, listen, you want to talk about qualifications? God is the highest qualified person to give you these rules. Why? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Just in case you forgot, he says to Israel, I delivered you. I set you free from the Egyptians. I now have given you a life of freedom. Don't ever forget who did that for you. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And now since we've kind of entered this covenant relationship now, speaking still to Israel, he says, listen, I'll be a God to you. This is a covenant he's made with them. I'll be your God, and you're going to be my people. And that means since I am a holy God, I am asking you and commanding you to live in holiness. That This prologue or this preface to the Ten Commandments... Uh, it's so important to, to, to know what it's talking about because in the end, even though it's not laid out specifically or clearly here, this is about God's grace when he deals with people. God did not have to come in to rescue Israel from the Egyptians. It was their sin that brought them there. God doesn't have to come in and rescue us when we fall into sin. He doesn't have to. Uh, we messed up. Israel messed up. It's the same grace, you see, that God displayed not only to the Israelites. That's what this table is all about this morning. The same grace that he gave to Israel is the grace that he gives to us. He said, I sent my son Jesus to die for you for your sins. Even though I, you didn't deserve it, this is an act of grace on my part. I delivered you from being slaves to sin. And we know what that's like because we still struggle with being slaves to sins, don't we? God says, don't forget, that's what this table is about. Jesus came to free you from being slaves to sin and give you a life of freedom. We've been set free. Oh, and we just say amen this morning for this grace that God showed us in the person of Jesus Christ. Then he comes to this first command in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Someone once said that this first commandment is like the most important of all of them. And first I kind of thought, well, should you really prioritize commandments? This commandment, they say, is the most important commandment because if you get this one right, the other nine are going to come easier for you. And then it began to make sense to me. If God is given the place that he deserves in your life, if, if you're to love him more than anything, the rest are going to kind of come out of that. If you mess up the first one, you're going to mess up the other nine without even trying. It's all about loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Do you know of anybody in the Bible who said that? Anyone? Didn't Jesus say that in, in, in Matthew? He was asked, well, the, you know, the Pharisees said, what's the greatest commandment? Is there such a thing as the greatest commandment? Jesus goes, oh, sure, I got, I got, I'll tell you. Love God more than anything. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your being. That's who you are to love. It's the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus even put his stamp on that. And what this commandment is really about, and we're going to get into this now as we get into the, more of this, this message. God wants us to understand who we are to worship more than anything. This is the who. Next week, the Lord willing, it's the how. But this week, this commandment has to deal with who we are to worship. And this is what God is simply saying. Sometimes you talk about priorities in our life. Right? Someone might say, well, what are your number one, number two, number three, number four priorities? And we kind of might make, make a list. This is what this commandment is about. God says, listen, I know you have a lot of, quote, priorities in your life. Be careful how you label them and be careful how you put them in order. But let's understand something from the beginning when it comes to this commandment. 
I am your number one priority. Number one. In fact, another colleague of mine once said, there's really, don't even try to put a second, third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or seventh, or eighth priority, because sometimes when you do that, you're, you're losing the significance of God being number one in your life. God says, I am to be your number one priority in your life. You are to worship me and to worship me alone. No gods. We just sang a song that mentioned about rivals. No rivals. No competitors for this love. We're going to talk more about that, Lord willing, next week when we talk about the jealousy of God. No rivals. No competitors to our relationship. I have a, a friend of mine who, who sometimes says, all or nothing. It's either all or nothing. That's what God is saying in this commandment. It's all. Don't, don't piecemeal me up here and there. I am your all in all. And it's either all with me or it's nothing with me. He's talking about an exclusive relationship. I have a relationship with you to Israel and to us through Jesus Christ. I have a very exclusive relationship. I am yours and you are mine. We belong together, almost like a marital kind of relationship. I want no others exclusively together, exclusive allegiance. You are to love me more than anything and more than anyone. Now, that's the first commandment in a nutshell. Let's, let's look for a moment how, um, how people respond to that. How did, how did Israel respond to that? At the outset, it was like, yes, Lord. In fact, was it Deuteronomy? Someplace in Deuteronomy, you can Google it when you get home. Israel says, that's what we want. Yes, we're, we're all in. All or nothing with us, Lord. We want to follow the way God wants us to live. Just like we will do at times. We know we're all in with God saying, God, you're number one, I'm going to follow you. But history for Israel would prove different, would it not? Even though they make the statement, as we can often make, I'm all in with you, God. As we go through the history of Israel, you read through the Old Testament, what some of you just did in going through the, in the, in the Bible reading. You find something about Israel. Time and time and time again, they were prone to wonder. Oh, God, you're number one. You're the number one priority in my life. And yet we find them often with other priorities in their life and even taken on other gods. They were people who, who just, someone could have nicknamed them, you know, uh, these are the people who say they love God, but they really don't show it by how they live. There are just multiple, multiple verses in Scripture where it talks about the Israelites, how they at one time with God side by side, you are our only God, and yet you find in their life, and the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, all say that look at the history of Israel. With you, God, but we're prone to wander to other gods and to other idols. And, and, and you know, when I read that in the Old Testament, I sometimes go, what's the matter with you people? Look what God did for you. Look at the freedom he's giving you and the blessing and this relationship you have with a sovereign Lord. What's the matter with you people? How could you ever do that and respond in that way? Don't you ever do that when, when you read kind of Old Testament people, what's wrong with you? And how quickly we forget, right? We start pointing the finger like, what's the matter with you people, Israel? We, we often do that, and that's, it's, it's unfortunate because you know, what does someone teach us? If you point one finger one way, you got how many pointing back at yourself? Well, three. Be careful about pointing the finger when it comes to idolatry. 
when it comes to having other gods before God or beside him. Because you've learned already, whether you're a young Christian or been a Christian your whole life or maybe not even a Christian at all yet, how prone we are to wonder. It doesn't take too much, does it? We profess with our lips and with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet, by the very life that we live sometimes, it doesn't always show that because we take on other gods. Now, it's not that we don't love Jesus, and it's not that we've given up on Jesus, and it's not that we even stop professing Jesus Christ as Lord and to say, I, I live for Jesus. It's not that. But what happens is, is we too begin to take on other gods, other love interests, other desires, anything, anyone. We kind of add them to the equation of who are the gods in your life. And so Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And yet, just like Israel, as God's people, we, we too can be prone to wander to other gods. We place other objects before him and other things. Now, I made a list. I got this question kept coming to me as I worked on this the last few weeks. You know, what, what, what are today's idols that we have? Who or what do we, do we devote ourselves to? Who or what do we give our allegiance to, our time to, our energy to, the desires of our hearts? And I come up with quite a list. Now, you can kind of check these off in your own life as I read through this list. And just to see if any of these things have kind of stepped in and not taken the place of God necessarily, but you've added them to your list of God's. The first one is pleasure. A retired Calvin Seminary professor, uh, Professor John Cooper, who I had when I was there, uh, his, his, his ministry had to do with philosophical theology. And he has a wonderful article in the forum, it was back like in 1994, I think, where he says he believes that pleasure is the number one idol of, of people today. Personal pleasure. That's what I live for. Ready for the rest of the list? Some of these are interrelated. Hedonism, sex, money, career, recreation, intellect, beauty, fame, a hobby, prosperity, technology, material possessions, relationships. How about this? Family? Marriage? Power? Social status, prestige, popularity, your health, social media. How about texting young people, adults? Politics, pop culture, yourself, affluence, patriotism, science, the entertainment industry, or boys and girls, a toy or a stuffed animal, something. You say, wait a minute. Those aren't idols. Oh, they surely are. What is an idol? Anything that you place alongside of God that you get that, or, 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 or um, uh, next to God or above God. Anything that begins to take your time and your attention. The very thing that what you think about every day when you get up and every day you go to bed. That becomes your idol. And this command says, I don't want any of that going on in the life of those who call me their children. You shall have no other gods before me. Even John Calvin, one of our, our great church fathers, is known to have said, the human heart is an idol factory. Think about it. The human heart 
is an idol factor. Now, it's not that some of these things, and a number of these things that I read, it's not that they're sinful in and of themselves. A number of these things are very good things, and, and they can be good things for us and are good things for us. But what, when it becomes a problem is, is when you begin to put those things alongside of God and that your desire and your passions and your time and your energy is spent on that particular thing and God gets to be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth down the line. That is idolatry. God says, live like this. Be holy for I am holy. Um, when we wonder, when Israel wondered, when, when we are prone to wander off that path as well, when we get too involved with other things that become our gods, how does God respond? You know, he has, he has every right just to say, see ya. I don't owe you anything. I've delivered you. I don't owe you anything. And, and if he was like us, this is just the beauty of part of the attributes of God. If he was like us, as we often might say to someone who's just heard us too many times, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to see you anymore. I don't, I don't want any relationship with you. You just hurt me too much and too many times. And I want this relationship to end. God has every right to do that. God has every right to abandon us and to leave us as he would Israel. He could have with Israel, leave them in their sin. But there's something just marvelous about God, something that, that we have only in part, and that's this thing called grace. Israel would mess up, really mess up a lot. We mess up a lot in our lives when we take on other idols and devote ourselves to other things above God. God's grace comes to, to Israel in the Old Testament, and despite their history, if you read through the, the prophets, minor prophets, the major prophets, read through Deuteronomy as they go through the wilderness. And all you find are these people who pledge their allegiance to God to be our only God, and yet almost, it seems like every other page in Scripture of their story, the narratives, they're wandering away. They're turning around and living another kind of life. And so then we read as we get to the prophets, God sends them prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And he calls them back to him. He didn't have to call them back to himself. But he calls them back because he loves them too much. He's not like us. Where we might let people go that we no longer love because they hurt us. And you can read this almost in any of the prophets. I just chose to, to stick with Hosea this morning for a moment because I, I, I really appreciate chapter 11 when the people again of Israel have wandered away and they're in a bad way. And God gets angry. We're going to talk about the anger of God, Lord willing, next week. He gets angry when we're prone to wonder. And yet we find as we come to the prophet Hosea, remember those, those wonderful words in Hosea 11 after God is explaining uh, you know, their, their waywardness. Remember, it starts out with Gomer and how he says, go, you go and marry this prostitute, and that's what you've done. You prostituted yourselves with me. He comes to chapter 11 here, and he says, Hosea says, listen, where God says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give you up? I love you too much. This is a common theme throughout these prophets. I love you too much to let you go. I will not abandon you. You just need to return to me again. And that's that roller coaster ride that Israel was on. Having a good relationship with God, 
serving other gods, having a good relationship with God, prone to wonder as the way they would go. And this is the same grace. So this is so important to understand today. Because some people say, oh, that was then. It's the same grace that God offers to us each and every day as he calls us to repentance. Understand this morning, we're, we're, we're no better as far as our relationship with God is concerned and how we act towards God when it comes to holiness than Israel was. We can't pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we're just a little bit more holy than Israel. No, we're prone to wonder as well. You have and I have and we do. That's just that sinful human nature, that human depravity in us that pulls us away from God. And so what I believe God is doing this morning as we come to this first commandment, no other gods before me, I think it's important that from time to time to read them and to understand what's the principle behind them. And in this particular case, it simply means that there are certain things that we should do when it comes to the first commandment, when God says, you are to worship me and to worship me alone, no rivals, no competitors. It's important, first of all, to identify the idols in your life. Before we come to the table this morning, we've got to get right with God. We've got to say, Lord, I've maybe been holding it off, maybe try to hide it. I can't hide anything from you. You know all the secrets of my heart and my life. Before I come to the table this morning, I'm going to identify, I need to identify the idols in my life, the, 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 the things or, or people that have, have stepped into the place that is reserved for you alone in my life. I like the way how one author just challenged me this week to ask these questions. Ask yourself these questions this morning. What preoccupies or rules my heart or my thoughts? What preoccupies or rules my time. What do I focus my attention on more than anything else in my life? What compels me? What controls me? What drives me as a person? What motivates me? What am I most passionate about? To what does my heart cling? What competes for my time with God? What gives me a sense of worth? What defines my identity before others? What do I crave? Who or what gets the best use of my time, my energy, and my affection? And if everything else were taken away from me, what one thing, what one thing in this life could I live without? What is it that you and I so easily can rob God of our devotion to him. I quoted John Calvin earlier. Martin Luther has something to say about this as well. He says, whatever your heart clings to, that is your God. So it's really pretty easy identifying who your God is in your life. Whatever your heart clings to, identify it. And once you've identified, there's this matter of repentance, and that simply means, I've described repentance before, it's like I'm going in this direction in my life, there are things in my life that are taking the place of God, no other gods beside me. God says, repentance, 180 degree to turn, I'm now going to leave those things behind, and I'm going to make God the number one priority in my life. It's 180 degree to turn, and that's a turn we have to make often in our lives, isn't it? We just get caught up in things that we value or give our time to more than God. 180 degree, degree turn in the way you live. It's putting God back in the place he belongs. He's never was taken out of that place, but we can take him out of that place by how we live before him. 
we identify our idols. We, 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 we come to God in repentance and faith through Jesus Christ. We get our priorities straight. And that's probably what a lot of us, again, as before we come to the table, you say, Lord, I'm going to get my priorities straight. I, I've strayed. It's not that we stop loving you, Jesus. And I still pray with you and walk with you every day, but I know I'm walking with, with other things in my life as well that get in the way of the time and the intention and the devotion I owe you. Lord, just help me get my priorities straight. I want to be totally devoted to you. Complete allegiance, no other gods beside you. And then as, uh, as, as uh, one of Jesus' disciples wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, and I love this translation of it because this is what it's saying. Dear children, keep yourself away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. I believe the NIV says, do not worship or follow idols. Notice where that heart thing comes up again. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep Jesus Christ as your number one priority. Be holy because I'm holy. We're going to be singing a, a, a stanza of a hymn in a few moments. Uh, I grew up singing it in, in the church. I grew up in Holland, Michigan. Um, oh, for a closer walk with God. And, and it was written, I understand, by, by this author. Uh, and it was taken from Genesis 5, verse 24, where it says that somebody walked with God. Who was that? Who walked with God? Who, who did God take? They didn't even experience the kind of death that we do. God took him because he, he lived a holy life. Somebody shouted out, Enoch, thank you. Enoch walked with God. And this author just, I guess he was contemplating on that walking with God. And Enoch walked with God and God took him. Because he walked with him in such a way where God was his ultimate allegiance. And so he, he, it says he sat down and he wrote these words. He says, oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame. A light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. And this is the second stanza, maybe what some of us need to contemplate this morning. Where's the blessedness I once knew when I first sought the Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? And then these words that we're going to sing in just a moment. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol may be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. That's the first commandment. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame. So pure a mark will lead me on the road that leads me to the Lamb. And the same author then writes, Oh, that it may have been a sanctified event, that I may rejoice to surrender up to the Lord my dearest comforts. And that's exactly what God is challenging us to do this morning. Surrender whatever idol that's getting in the way. Surrender it to God. And get back on track in making him still the number one priority in your life and to love him more than anything else. That's the kind of holiness God is looking for from us. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word as, as we begin our journey through these ten words. We understand why this first commandment is so important. You call us to, to worship you and to love you and devote ourselves to you more than anything else in the world. That's 
hard work for us. Because as Israel, we are bent on loving other things and going the wrong way and living in unholiness. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to continually repent daily when we run after other idols and other gods, when other things, when other people take your place in our lives as the sovereign Lord. <clears throat> Be patient with us. We praise you for your grace and your patience as we seek more and more to take on the holiness that Jesus Christ has given us. And we thank you for that. In his name we pray, everyone say, amen. amen.